Hello, welcome to the show. My name's Lucy Taylor from Make Work Play. And I'm Suki Stewart from Playfield. Together we are Why Play Works, the podcast that speaks to people radically reshaping the idea of work as play. Today I'll be speaking to facilitator, coach, comedian, dancer, writer and all-round polymathic wonder Kay Scorer. After graduating in biochemistry, Kay started her working life as a research biophysicist before making the rather left-field move into market research and then advertising. After working as a strategist and then planning director at two London agencies, she quit the ad world in 1988 to start her own business, Have More Fun Limited. She works with individuals and groups on being 100% you and improving communication by developing better listening skills and enhancing our use of verbal and nonverbal expression. She's been helped in this by studying acting at the Beverly Hills Playhouse, yoga therapy, and several dance forms. She's recently circled back to her scientist roots and begun to dive deep into academic research on the relationship between thought, emotion, and action. In 2019, Kay created the Turning the Tables conference, an event where corporate and local government leaders come to learn from young people who've overcome extreme challenges. She also writes, produces and performs theatre and stand-up comedy and is chair of the volunteer board of Creative Dance London. In this episode, we explore how play can help us break old habits and find new ways of thinking, why we need to start with our bodies when it comes to play and the importance of finding your playful tribe. Plus, Kay gives you an enormous wealth of accessible, playful practices to take into your day. So I'd love it if we could start with you just telling us a little bit about what you do and how play fits into your kind of magical, diverse, polymathic working world. It's it's always difficult, as you know, when people say, what do you do for me to answer that? Because, you know, 67 years, I've, I do quite a lot. But I guess my, my favourite nickname for me that a client came up with was the witch of noticing. I love that. And I like to think that that's what I do. I notice for a living. Yeah. I notice people. I notice Mm -hmm. people as individuals and as groups. And then I describe to them what I notice. And then we play with that. I love that. I love that kind of, um, yeah, just the presence that is implied in that. Absolutely. And it's such a gift, isn't it? And you know this, that when we're brought in by other organisations, we have the blessing of being so present because we haven't got the whole politics, the structures, the hierarchies in our minds. We can just be present. And it's, it's a real gift. Um, And so before we kind of dive into, you know, your stories of play at work, I'd love to just um, hear from you, what does play mean for you? Play for me is is much more about experiment. I, I like to think of play as an experiment with what's around me. Because for me, the value of play is getting new ideas creating solutions so and coming from a a, originally from a science background your experiment is the thing that you use to make things happen to prove that things do or don't exist 
So for me, play is a series of experiments in order to create new ways of thinking and doing. Yeah, I love that idea. And that that feels like it's um, so accessible when you describe it as an experiment. Yes, yes. And, you know, again, you and I both know this, that when we talk to the corporate world and the systems world about play, they tend to go, ooh, no, not serious enough. We can't do that. And as much as I resist being told it's not serious enough because play is the most serious thing, uh, I think the word experiment helps people to be comfortable with play. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's a really great, accessible way in Mm. for people who maybe don't feel so comfortable with it. And tell me about a time, like time recently when you have felt playful, what happened? What was, what were you doing? (laughs) Uh, Well, there's a very recent and very trivial one. I was on a call very much like this with my delightful business partner, Paul Loper in San Francisco. And Paul is inclined to say at the end of our conversations, okay, so how are we going to end this? And because we're both movers, it's quite often like, bye. But what I did, I looked around on my desk and I found a plain brown paper bag. So this is how we ended it. Kay is taking her envelope and scribbling (laughs) on it with a marker pen. So I drew a pair of eyes on the brown paper bag and then it became me. Well, Paul, (laughs) it's been really great talking to you this evening and I can't wait for us to meet again. Bye. Oh, I love this. So Kay is holding up a jiffy bag, a paper jiffy bag with eyes on it and using it as a hand puppet. I mean, looking at it, it was embodied. It was in the moment. It was re- kind of inventive, a bit scrappy. Yes. And it it also came from, you know, the most important thing in what I do is notice and get people to notice. It simply came from, look around my space, see what I can see. Here's a brown paper bag. What can I do with a bag? I can put something in it. So it's about noticing and then experiencing. Noticing, touching, interacting with, and then turning it into something. Yeah, that's so nice. That sense of just inviting yourself into your environment. Yes, yes, yes. And also, I think, the, the other, there was an, I've just thought of another great play moment. I have a lovely new coffee shop nearby. And I, with my friends and neighbors, tend to sit in the window seat. And it's usually at the time when parents are coming back from dropping the slightly older child at school and they've got the very young child in the buggy. Love it. And so we play games with the young children walking by the window. We play hide and seek or pulling faces or something. And it just starts our day with such a grin. Of course, the people who are in the coffee shop think we're bonkers, but who cares? (laughs) (laughs) Who cares indeed? And that just brings such a big smile to my face. And I imagine a smile to the face of all those parents and those kiddos. Yes. Well, sometimes the kiddo is kind of go, who are these bonkers growing ups? But you know, usually they play along. <laughs> That's so delightful. Thank you for sharing that. And so how do you feel 
that play and work relate to each other? Mm. It's a big one. Yes, it is. Let me start from a sort of opposite. I think the separation of play and work is one of the fundamental errors of our society. So when I think of playtime at school, when my son was going to school, that used to enrage me. This should all be playtime. This is how Mm. children learn. When do we learn the most? When everything is play. So the separation of work and play has always enraged me. And I think one of the reasons that I was really academically successful was I went to a primary school where we didn't separate work and play. That everything was play. That I had teachers who taught me to add up by drawing funny faces on the board and having me count how many faces there were and then putting a plus and a minus sign up. Um, We did what we called ladling and pouring, which was pouring water from one jug to another to see the difference in volume between one and another. And I really believe that separation of work and play is a big mistake. Mm. It really slows down our learning. And I also get quite cross that culture gets bunged in with play. Mm. So we don't take the arts, you know, music lessons and art lessons are a bit on the play side and they really shouldn't be. They're they're very serious play, (laughs) huge learning in there. So yes, I don't like the separation. I don't like the hierarchy. It's it's more than separation, isn't it? It's hierarchy. Work is Mm. serious and important. Play is something you do in your spare time. Yes. Enrages me, sorry. And you know how easily enraged I am. I love the rage. I think it's important. It's a fuel for change. And and in your mind, like, how do you think those things should coexist? Uh, Can I, I'll get a bit nerdy. So um, I've been studying the principles of sensory motor intentionality. Mm. This is how babies learn. So they sense something, and this can be pre-birth. They respond to what they sense, so that's the motor part. They may move towards it, move away from it, try to touch it. Uh, And then in response to what happens when they do that, they start to build up emotion. Mm. So from the very beginning of our existence, our play, if you like, our interaction with random brown paper bags on our desk, is the beginning of our learning. Mm. So for me, the more we play, the more we learn. Yeah. The more we play, the more we find new pathways to doing old things. The more we play, we get out of habits that may not be serving us. And we're inclined, I think, certainly in the business world, to turn habits into processes, and then it gets set in the system, and we just assume that's the right way. Well, it's not always, and play allows us to find new ways. I love that, that kind of way out of the grooves and the ruts that stop us necessarily, yeah, and stop us doing things in a beautiful way and in a way that is fulfilling and enlivening. Yes, and thank you for the beautiful word, because it's not just about finding better, more efficient ways and more entertaining ways to do things. There is also a beauty in finding a better route, even if it's a longer route. Can you give us some examples of where you've seen play in action kind of having, a, you know, I'd go as far as to say a transformational effect at work? 
I'm, I'm thinking of a photograph that I took at a workshop that I ran in Singapore. And it's a picture of a very tall Western man and a very small Asian woman. They both are using their pens like little swords. They're having a sword fight in my workshop. <laughs> <laughs> and this was a workshop which was all about hierarchy and cross-cultural communication. And I, I don't know what the question was I'd asked them, but these two finished up having a sword fight with pens in a meeting room in Singapore. And at the end of their sword fight, the guy said, oh, my God, she won. And I said, oh, just unpack that a bit for us. And he said, I have always assumed, because I'm tall, male, and white, that I will win any battle. But he said, she just kept running around the back of me. She kept breaking the rules. So she kept running around the back of him and stabbing him in the back with a pen. <laughs> Whereas he thought the rules were, we have to face each other as if this is a duel. Um, and it was just a, a lovely moment of his realizing that she had other ways of doing things that might actually be more effective. Because he assumed he would win, he wasn't being creative. Mm. He kept doing the same thing and she kept doing different things. And I think that was another learning to it as well. But he realized that he could actually do things differently yes. if he gave himself permission. And by seeing her modeling something different, mm. that kind of creates a space for him to give himself permission. Yeah. And the other thing I loved about it was, because they were quite a formal group, I loved about it as well that they finished up leaning against each other in the room crying with laughter. Oh, <laughs> glorious. So, it, yes, it, it, I think it started, it, it began the creation of a work relationship which was much more open and it really helped him to see there were other ways of doing things, but it also helped her to see that she was allowed to do things her way. And just thinking about, you know, you've, you've done decades of work in this area and have so much experience. What have been your, the biggest surprises for you in working in a playful way with the groups and the organizations that you've worked with? Well, I, I continue to be surprised by how many people resist the idea of play. Mm. So we have, I'm currently working with the National Center for Circus Arts and we're running corporate half days where you learn some circus skills and you co-create things with your colleagues. And the number of people who come in at the beginning of the session with their heads down and their arms pinned to the sides of their body going, I don't want to do this. This is just one of those excruciating things. So resistance to play continues to surprise mm. me. Mm. And I'm also constantly surprised by who is the most resistant. I often get pushed back from HR people saying, oh, we can't ask the senior people to do that. But actually, in my experience, the really senior people are great at play because they have nothing to lose in a way. I mean, they're already yeah. up there. Yeah. Uh, and they, the really good ones, the really good leaders know that making themselves playful and vulnerable in front of the rest of their team really helps. It helps mm. their relationships. We had a lovely example in the last uh, National Center for Circus Arts workshop where the leader of the team, she brought 20 people from her department 
And there were a lot of them were really sort of fit young people, and she was not. And she got up on the flying trapeze. Now, we always say to people, you don't have to do everything. You don't have to do the flying trapeze. She got up there on the flying trapeze, and there were tears amongst her team of joy that she was doing this because they all expected her to do the, oh, no, I won't do that. It's not for me. But no, she got up there. The tears and the cheering were overwhelming. Wow. So, yeah, it's when you show your, yeah, I'll go for it. I'll risk. I'll take risk. And yeah. a, leader, a leader taking risk is a really fine thing, I think. Yeah. And it makes me think there's, you know, this relationship between play and vulnerability. Yes. In doing that, she was prepared to show her vulnerability to her team. And then that yields this incredible reaction from them. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, she, she knows that without risk, we don't learn. Unless mm. we stretch ourselves outside our comfort zone, we just keep doing the same habitual stuff. And... Yeah, it feels like there's quite a lot of misconceptions around the idea of playing at work. Yes. What do you see those as being? Well, I think there's the parking of play in a separate category. You know, I I'd work, I work with a lot of organisations who think that play is just going out and getting drunk on a Friday. Yeah. Or going to the races for a day. Mm. And for me... Play at work should be integral to everything we do. It should be an ongoing game at work. We should be taking the opportunity to notice and improvise in every breath. So, yeah, the mis one of the misconceptions is, oh, we'll get some cheesy old cow like Kay to come in and run some cheesy workshop, and then we'll all park it, go to the pub, and we'll never apply it again. And that's not what I do, and I know it's not what you do either, Lucy, what we try to do is get people to build play into work. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. And and how do you, I mean, how do you, how would you advise people to start doing that? What's the way in? There's some very simple things that I always tell people to do. You, you start with your own body. Like you've been in a room with me where I say to people, fold your arms, now fold your arms the other way. Cross your legs, now cross your legs the other way. So do things within yourself that challenge you a little bit. And as soon as you ask someone to fold their arms the other way, and I hope people listening to this will be folding their arms the other way, it becomes a bit clowny. Yes, exactly. So I'm, listeners, I'm watching Lucy pulling funny faces as she tries to fold her arms the other way. So the tiniest thing becomes playful. And then that begins the process of an interaction with other people. Uh, so that start from within, start breaking your own habits. And then little things like, please sit in a different place. If you're going into a meeting, don't always sit in the same seat as you always sit in. And now most of us are working from home a lot. Don't sit in front of your laptop in the same place, but put it somewhere else. And then notice what you see differently. Change simple things in your interactions at work. Find another way to the coffee machine. I love that. And, you know, if you find another way to the coffee machine, you might walk past someone that you don't normally walk past and then find a silly way to interact with them or even just ask them if they'd like a coffee. Yeah, I love that. And it's like these little opportunities to inject 
play into your day to day that feels so accessible. Yes. But coming back to that idea of permission, we don't always give ourselves permission to do. Mm. And I think, you know, that way, finding a different way to the coffee machine is just lovely. It's so simple. And allowing ourselves to be distracted in the way that children are. Children are wonderful at distraction. They can be walking through the park and there is a squirrel. Oh, squirrel, great squirrel. Oh, there's a duck. Oh, there's a pigeon. I'm going to chase the pigeon. Oh, here's another child. I'll play with the child. And that constant distraction is so enlivening. Yeah. So allowing yourself to be distracted at work is not necessarily a bad thing. No, I think that's really important. But And it's interesting, the things you describe are physical distractions. They're real-world distractions. Because yeah. I think one of the things that gets in the way of play are all the digital distractions. Yes. And yes. I wonder, do you have a view on, you know, how do you balance that in this hybrid way that we're working? I'm, I'm hearing um, a lot of people talk negatively about disappearing down the wormhole of Googling. And, you know, I opened an email from so-and-so and then I looked up who they were and then I got onto LinkedIn and then this and then this. It's not necessarily a bad thing. Mm if you turn it into a game. So I, love it. I, I have this method that I'm using with clients about going down the wormhole. We're calling it the well. You notice yourself going down the well of digital distraction and you think, so how far down the well am I? Am I halfway down? Is it interesting enough for me to keep going down or is this getting a bit dull and dark now? Should I climb back up? Can I climb back up a different side? So rather than just going, I'm not going to climb down the well, I'm going to find an interesting way out of the well. I love that. And how are people climbing back out of the well? I'm intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of them are calling on a friend to come to the top of the well and put their arm down and get them out. <laughs> so you can have your well buddy and you can go, oh, my God, I've got down this well of, you know, I'm reading our HR rules on dealing with diversity and inclusion, and I'm deep down in the well, somebody help me. So you'll get someone to come along and have a conversation about the HR policy on DNI or something. And that's interesting because it's this, you know, inviting other people in mm. and finding playmates. Yes. How does that kind of show up in your work? Kind of playing with others versus playing by yourself? That's a good question a big fan of playing with others who are nothing like you. So what I love doing is when clients ask me to run workshops with two different teams. Mm. So I love the cross-cultural thing, whether the culture is two different countries or whether it's the R&D department and the marketing department within a company. I love doing that because they do tend to think that they're different. Mm. And then when they start to co-create and collaborate, they realize they have more in common than they thought. Yes. And also they find the third way, don't they? Or the fourth or the fifth or the tenth way. They have their habitual way of communicating. They meet someone who's very different. They find another way and then another way and another way. So there's this endless, limitless way of communicating when you put people together with those that are different from them. And I imagine there are all sorts of other things that come out of those kind of cross-cultural, cross-team playing events. Tell me about that. Some of my favorite discoveries have been in body language and facial habits. So 
and particularly recently, we have the Zoom smile, don't we? That whenever we're on a video call, we've got this weird little smile, which is, <laughs> yes. I'm doing a weird little smile. Everyone, of... Yeah, Lucy's doing a great smile. And then there is an assumption that that person is okay. And this happens in real life as well, where I've had people play together and they've realized that when the Japanese person in the room puts their hand over their face, it doesn't mean that they're laughing necessarily. It might mean something else. And you get the chance to ask them in a playful environment that you don't get in a business meeting. Mm. I was recently on a Zoom call and I got a private message in the chat asking me if I could please turn down the volume on my facial expressions. Wow. <laughs> because we do. And again, listeners, Lucy is doing amazing facial expressions here. She's <laughs> doing startled squirrel being chased by a child in a park. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't know that was in my range. <laughs> yes, it is. So we make assumptions, don't we? about mm. what people's expressions mean. And sometimes those assumptions could be wrong. And often when we play together, we realize those assumptions are wrong because we have mm. this very childlike way of connecting. Yeah, I love that. And I think it was Plato who said, you can learn more about someone in an hour of play than in a year of conversation. Absolutely. So, you know, you said you're surprised at how resistant people are still to play. What do you think needs to be in place for people to feel like they can play at work? A couple of things come to mind. One, of course, is modelling from above, that playful leaders are really important. And especially when those leaders, as they tend to be, are from you know, society's upper echelons, it's really very important but it's also important that the play that they demonstrate is not attention grabbing. So I would draw a line between a leader being a clown and a leader being a team player mm. and mentioning no names, but there are some fairly prominent leaders as clowns in our world at the moment. And that's attention grabbing. That's not playing. Mm. So leaders need to show that they are prepared to play with others and simple things like taking a juggling thud into the office and throwing it. And we need measurement, don't we? And I used to be quite resistant to clients saying, well, we need to measure the impact of play. Mm. But in fact, if you need to measure it, measure it. Ask people how they feel when you introduce more play into the workplace. And then your experience, how do people feel? They feel mm, it's a dropping of the shoulders. Mm. It's a, I don't have to perform. There's a big difference between perform and play. If I'm allowed to play, the pressure isn't always on me to perform. So we've noticed that, yes, people feel less pressured. Funnily enough, they feel more productive because they find different ways of finding solutions. Yes. And they also find it easier to ask for help. So they don't feel that they have to do everything alone. And why do you think that is? Where does that come from? This, this is why I, I like to differentiate between play and games. Yes. So a lot of consultants like us don't actually play. They play games. Mm. 
and games are competitive. Mm. They're not collaborative. So I don't really approve. Well, I mean, it's fine if you want to go out and play football. That's absolutely fine. But that's not the kind of play I mean. The kind of play I mean is, you know, finding a new way from my desk to the coffee machine without my feet touching the ground. Okay, I'm going to have to ask my colleagues for help here. Yes. So if we can introduce playful exercises that get colleagues to collaborate rather than yeah. compete, that's where the I can ask for help comes from. And it sounds like there's an invitation in there. Mm. It's kind of an invitational way of working together. Yes. Yes. And make the invitation visible. Why not just scribble on a piece of paper? Um, hey, can you get from here to the coffee machine without your feet touching the ground? You know, there's, there's no obligation. It, it's not, you may not put your feet up. Everyone, Lucy's now looking around her to see if she can find a way to get to her coffee machine. <laughs> Which is all the way downstairs, so it's going to be a challenge, but I'm definitely going to do this with my son later. Okay, so in terms of the conditions, it's kind of modelling, um, creating space for that, starting yeah. with our own bodies. Yeah. Have you um, got any advice for people listening about where to start, you know, if they're working in an organization that isn't necessarily that playful, where would you begin? Always begin with an ally is, is my solution. You know, as the kid, the, the skinny, nerdy kid in the playground, I was usually the one standing on the edge, but then there would be another skinny, nerdy kid or another one who was out of place. Get the other skinny, nerdy kid to start playing with you and then people will notice. I think simply things like my putting my hand inside a brown envelope and drawing eyes on it. You know, if I were to sit in the office pretending to talk to a brown envelope with eyes on it, that would get people's attention. And perhaps they might start a puppet show. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> in which we will discuss how we are going to get the packing department to be more efficient. I love that. A puppet packing department. <laughs> so start small, basically, yes. with small little yes. experiments yes. that get people noticing. Find your tribe. Play in your tribe in order to find solutions to problems. Make sure that others notice. And we come back to the noticing, yes. which feels like such an important part of all this. Yes. And people do notice people at work who are enjoying themselves. Because the habitual body language and facial, express, facial expression at work is not playful. If you start to feel good, it'll show in your body and your face and other people will start to feel good and they'll start to do it. And you will start a playful movement. Oh, that sounds so good. And, and this sense of embodiment feels so important, like starting with your own body. Yes. And what ripples out from there. Yes, if you're going to work, even if it's to sit down at your laptop, if you sit down at your laptop with your play body on and not your work body on, then that sets you up for a playful day. Yes. And how would you describe the play body? <laughs> well, um, everyone has a different play body, but you know, I think you've done it, that Paul and I do somatic coaching. And we get people to, first of all, make the body shape that represents them having the most shit time at work. So yes, usually it's hunched over, it's closed up, it's, it's tense. So they do that. And then we say, make the body shape 
or the movement of you having your best possible time anywhere at all in the world, not necessarily at work. So they do this kind of arms out, grinning, looking outwards. And then we say, okay, choreograph your way from grumpy work, bored body into exuberant, I'm having a great time body. And then settle on somewhere. You might want, not want to sit at your desk today in completely crazy exuberant body, but you might be somewhere along that road. It might just be about lifting your head and noticing what's going on in your peripheral vision. Yeah. But if you set yourself the worst and the best, and then you find yourself a place which is towards the best and adopt that for the beginning of your day, that's one way, one way to start. That sounds brilliant. And I mean, I was going to ask you a question about have you got a playful practice that you could share with our listeners to take into their day to day? But I feel like we've been inundated with lovely, playful practices. I wonder if you have any others you'd like to share. Well, I really recommend that everyone have juggling thuds in the workplace. So juggling balls. Yeah. And randomly throw one at somebody because they don't hurt if they hit you soft. Randomly throwing a juggling thud around the place is great. If you're on a Zoom call, pretend to be throwing a juggling thud at someone. That's hilarious, especially if it's a big Zoom call and nobody knows which direction it's going in because everyone's in different places. There's something I'd like to restate is please let's not separate playtime. Playtime is integral to creative working. It's it's what creative problem solving and collaboration start with. You watch children, very tiny children. They co-create and collaborate beautifully. You don't have to call it playtime, just call it time. Well, thank you so much, Kate. It's been amazing to talk to you. And I feel like there's just a whole wealth of amazing practical ideas that people can take into their day to day. So it's been a complete delight to talk to you. Well, likewise. And isn't it fun how talking about play makes us smile? Yeah, I feel like I'm, my cheeks are hurting <laughs> yeah, a bit. absolutely. You can't help but smile if you're talking about play. So, Lucy, how did your conversation with Kay go? What, what came up for you? Oh, it was so nice. I mean, she has just got so many ideas for how we can playfully change our day so I loved all the you know the tiny micro changes we can make to approach our day differently and feel more playful with the everyday things that we do absolutely the small the small sort of challenges you can set yourself around the coffee machine I love that something that feels very banal very everyday as you say and the idea of well, when I get there what's a, a small slightly different interaction I can have with someone that feels a little bit playful they just felt like really lovely micro nuggets into your day that you can just set a little challenge to yourself to, to experiment with, which is what play for her is all about. And that, you know, like showing up to your computer playfully. I love that idea. I, I also really want to get, what's she called, the juggling? Juggling thuds. Thuds, that's it. She's like, they don't hurt, just throw one at someone. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, just like bonk in your head. And be like, hey, I sadly don't have anyone here in my little makeshift recording studio to do that with, but I was I was craving that opportunity when she was talking about it. Yeah, it was so nice. I also, um, I really liked her point at the beginning around the amazing kind of power of the outsider to notice. Mm, the witch of noticing. Yes, and she notices for a living and then sort of shares what she's noticing and how she can turn up to any kind of scenario and she doesn't bring 
all of the context of that scenario she can just come and notice as a as a kind of pure form of activity and i i love that role of the outsider and just being free to notice without any of the baggage and also experimentation and experimenting with what's around us as a way of creating new thoughts and new behaviors and new possibilities and that language the language of experimentation being quite accessible for people so maybe those who feel a bit more skeptical actually an experiment is quite safe in a way it's sort of freedom within structure experimentation still has that level of uncertainty but it feels like a sort of safe familiar uncertainty which um which for some people play doesn't feel like that doesn't feel like it's got parameters around it and a sense of familiarity so I, I really like that use of, of experiments as a way as you say of being more accessible to those who might be uh, a little reticent or a bit unsure about engaging in these ideas. I thought the way she talked about the separation of work and play as being the one of the fundamental errors of our society was so true and you know how that starts in school and carries on through life and into work and how inhibiting that is. Mm, absolutely I think she really pulled out a lot of sort of myths that that we kind of in mainstream, certainly Western society, hold about play. When she's talking about leaders as clowns, and we do have some leaders who kind of really lean into that idea of the attention-grabbing clown, and that that's not necessarily a playful leader. And I really like that challenging, this notion of quite a one-dimensional view of play that I think a lot of us still hold, which is a playful person or a playful leader, you know, they look like they're, they're playing the prankster, they're joking around, they're being outwardly playful and foolish to an extent. And that is play for some people and, and that's great, but that's not the only way that play can manifest. And I really liked that she was saying, you know, that that's not the only way we should be thinking about kind of playfulness and leadership. That's not the only way it looks. Yeah, and, and the importance of modelling different ways. So I love the example she gave of the leader who decided to brave the flying trapeze and the vulnerability that was integral to that and you know how as leaders can we share our vulnerability in order to create space for others to do the same and she was talking about the, that exact story about the flying trapeze it really hit me the kind of outsized impact of a leader taking a risk like that in front of their colleagues and I think she really brought alive the the fear and resistance and barriers to engaging in play and how we can often assume some people are going to be up for it and some aren't. And we almost count them out of it. She was talking about, you know, some some gatekeepers saying, oh, the senior people in this team, they, they won't get engaged, you know, they're, they're not going to enjoy this. Whereas actually they can really engage with it and, and have that outsized impact. I love the idea that enjoying yourself at work is infectious. So just like in having fun and enjoying yourself and playing, you know, other people feel like they can do the same and it just has this ripple effect and that sense that we've heard in some other episodes of making these offers and putting yourself out there as a way of creating a movement. I've really heard a theme in what she was saying around play as a real powerful connector when she was talking about seeking out opportunities to play with people who are kind of outside of our habitual circle. So it might be people from different cultures, different backgrounds, or it might be even just people within the same organisation, but from different departments that you might not be working with day to day. And kind of the, the way that playing together can really transcend and cut through differences that might keep those people apart. I, I, that's what certainly we've seen in our work is that people find connections that were previously kind of invisible. And it just really 
accelerates a relationship to a point of much more kind of authentic connection and meaning than there was without that sense of place. So I loved I loved that story of finding people who are outside of your of your day-to-day circle and, and kind of playing with them if they're up for it. And I, I also really liked her invitation to allow ourselves to be distracted like children are, to allow ourselves to play in our environment and follow the different threads and see where they lead. That felt really juicy to me. Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, please do rate and review as it really helps us to reach other listeners. We're releasing episodes every two weeks, so do hit subscribe to ensure you don't miss out on more playful inspiration. Don't forget, you can find us at www.whyplayworks.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to join our growing community of people united by the idea of play at work, you can sign up to the Playworks Collective on the homepage. If you have any ideas for future episodes, topics you'd like to hear about, guest suggestions, or questions about the work we do with organisations, we would love to hear from you. Your feedback really matters to us, so please drop us a line at hello at whyplayworks.com. We'll be back in a fortnight with a brand new guest, and we hope you'll join us then.